We have no pressing announcements other than your pastor and ruling elder Harvey will be gone next week, Monday through Thursday, a week and a day from today at Presbytery. So keep us in prayer as we drive to um, North Dakota, Hamill, South Dakota. It feels like North Dakota, so sorry, South Dakotians. <clears throat> yeah, it's a nine-hour drive, so either way. And and Bob's driving. <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. Gorsuch. I will not. Yeah. That's next week, yeah, a week and a day. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. It'll be It's a Tuesday study or per time? Okay, we have the call to worship. I will come into the house of the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's bow hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing Psalm 71, Psalm 71. It's left, right again. We'll do one through four, just page 71A left, we'll call it.
God, not only on this day, but throughout the week as occasion rises, Lord, thankful in our hearts for the wonderful redemption we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and for your providence and guidance and direction in our life for our good and your glory. And we ask God in particular this morning that we would draw nigh unto you with confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that you have promised deliverance and are giving us deliverance, yes, Lord, right now. And have blessed us, Lord, with many things, including the preaching of the gospel and the opportunity here this morning to sing praises before you, God, and to be in your presence. We ask, Lord, for your spirit to be among us, that we would focus upon you. We pray all these things as you taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have the reading of Psalm 40, at least part of it, inside the insert. Let us read it responsibly. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So here we have a 
classic psalm, I guess we could say, of a prayer of help, deliverance, and his dependence upon God and his need for his hour of trouble, whatever that may be. But in the midst of this, we see a transition or an overlay, perhaps, of Jesus Christ. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book that is written of me, and delight to do your will, O God. That is quoted in the New Testament a couple of times, in Hebrews in particular, you may recall, as evidence that the Savior desired and wanted to come and die for us and suffer for our sins. It was not foisted upon him. He freely chose it for our deliverance because he loved us with an everlasting love. And yet the truth of it here is true. As much as Christ declared he wishes to come to do the will of the Father, and so we also wish to do the will of the Father. And I'm thankful that we have the Holy Spirit within us so that we have that drive in our life. Let us pray. And as we gather here, God, this morning, with our heads bowed before you, we, Lord, meditate upon the wonders that is you, and thankful, God, for a desire in our heart, although it seems to waver at times, Lord, and ebb and flow, perhaps with the circumstances we find ourselves in, Lord, perhaps with our emotions, whatever the case is, Lord, we don't always feel like we have a strong faith in you, Lord, a strong desire, God. We feel inadequate and fall away at times in our hearts, it seems, Lord. And so we ask and plead for your mercies to be upon us. And we're thankful, God, for your long-suffering, for your providence directed towards our good, Lord, as we see your hand of mercy upon us, even if we don't always feel it, for the families that you've given us, for the husbands and wives and the children, Lord, that love us and love you above all, for the Church of Jesus Christ, for giving us a place of worship and of comfort, for our health of our body but ultimately of our soul. Help us, God, with our sins of whatever they may be in violation of thought, word, and deed, of forgetting your word, of getting sucked into the world and way of thinking, God, that we would repent of these things, whatever they may be, with the confidence, Lord, to know that your gospel has been given to us, and you're not a stingy Lord, but one who has freely bestowed all things through Christ Jesus for us. Help us, God, to live such a life of repentance, of grasping the forgiveness of sins as we confess in the creed. We're thankful, God, for your gospel and for giving us the gospel through the preaching of your word, for your word, for the Bible of truth. We ask, Lord, for our continued growth and sanctification as your people, in spite of our sins, to overcome our sins day by day. We pray for our family situation, for the husbands and wives, Lord, to love one another, for the husbands to lead their family, God, to protect their family, body, and soul as best they can, to know their limitations, to know their strengths, Lord, and to exercise it for the good of their family and for the good of their friends as well, Lord, but especially for the wife. We pray, God, for the wife to stand firm and to, Lord, submit to the husband and to submit ultimately to you, God, above, and to love him and, Lord, to follow his lead. And we ask, God, for the growth of our families, that they would grow close to one another, the husband and wife in particular, and for the parents, Lord, to lead their children, to protect their children, to watch over them, to instruct them in righteousness and usefulness as members of this kingdom, to be sure, Lord, in this nation, but ultimately as members of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with them and watch them, help them grow up to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord, and to love their family and their church as well. We pray for our grandchildren, God, 
that you would also be with them, that you would help them grow up and to confess their baptism, God, and to love you and lead the church, we pray, that they are the next generation for our churches, Lord God. We pray for them and ask that you would be with them against the lies of the world and of their own weakness of their flesh. Help our families, God, in the day and age that is tearing down the family, destroying the family, hating the family, mocking the family, making laws that undermine the family, that we as churches would protect the family as best we can. We pray for our work situation. We ask for good pay. That's harder and harder to find, Lord, with high cost of living we find ourselves in, Lord, and increased inflation. And we ask, Lord, for safety on the job, as we heard this morning in prayer time, that you'd protect those who need protection and give them wisdom and strength to stand firm in what they need, Lord, and that their bosses would give it to them. And God, we pray for good work conditions and good co-workers and, and, and workers below them and above them, God, and bosses and employees and employers, Lord, that is needful. It's hard to find good work, we're hearing God. At the same time, it's also good find, hard to find good workers as well. It's a strange economy we find ourselves in, Lord, and we're thankful that uh, we all have a job. And although we wish it were perhaps better, Lord, we pray that it would indeed be better. You can help us with wisdom in that regard to do well at the job and perhaps find good employment. We pray, God, that the bosses that we have uh, would have pity upon us, Lord. If we are indeed good workers, they would not be stingy, God, but treat us well and treat all the workers well. Uh, Lord, it is hard to live in this day and age that we find ourselves in because we have to deal with finances, we have to deal with savings, we have to deal with work and jobs and the things like that. Churches need them, Lord. Churches need the income. This is the way you have designed things, Lord. We pray that the churches would not succumb to watering down the truth so they would have more members so they can have more money. But rather, Lord, always preach the full counsel of God. Be with your churches, we pray, that they may stand against such temptation. We pray for our politicians, our political leaders, and our social leaders, Lord. And those who have influence and sway upon the media and through the media, and upon our families and upon society, upon the civil magistrate, upon judges, upon everyone, Lord. These are uh, men and women of great power, even if they don't realize it, Lord. The things they say or don't say actually sway a lot of people and voters, both locally and nationally. So we pray, God, and ask that your spirit would move in through your providence, Lord, to do the right thing even if they do it for the wrong reason, although we pray it would be for the right reason. We pray indeed, Lord, and ask that they would be converted, that they would have access to Christians, to pastors and churches, Lord, that are faithful to your word, that will not water down the truth, that would present the whole counsel of God, Lord, to the social leaders, to our politicians, God. We pray, Lord, for those who are perpetuating wickedness and are undermining Lord, your truth, your church, and uh, the safety of the families in this nation, God, that you would hold them back, that they would fall into their own traps, as we read in the Psalms, Lord, and even the Proverbs. So we ask, God, for your protection, again, through your providence that you've given us over and over again, Lord, but we know it's always in your time and your way. We pray for godly and righteous laws as well, and the wicked laws would be cast down and even possibly ignored, Lord, and that we would have... Leaders, again, social and political, that would indeed lead us unto the right things, Lord, unto protection, unto peace, we pray, and prosperity. Again, not a prosperity that we can imbibe upon and be selfish in, Lord, in a wicked way, but rather, Lord, a prosperity that we could use for the good of our children and our children's children to pass on an inheritance to them, Lord, to work for their good 
and for our neighbors, of course, in this nation, we pray, and above all, the great prosperity of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the peace of the church, that the pastors would not be shut down, not just in the public arena, Lord, downtown Denver, for example, but even on the digitally public arena, Lord, a social media, which is now our marketplace, as it were, God, and we pray that they would have access to preach and teach the truth and warn people and not be shut down. Spirit of truth, be with us this day, we pray. Be with us this morning that we would stay alert and alive and well in our minds, Lord, and focused upon you and comforted by your gospel promises. Be with us, we pray, God, for your glorious name's sake. Help us, Lord, to praise your name aright. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. rise praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above you heavenly host praise Father Son and Holy We indeed praise you, God Almighty, with our hearts, but also with our hands and the produce of our labors. We ask, God, that they would be used wisely and greatly, especially in this uh, difficult economy where it's hard to know what to do with the money and invest it. And, uh, Lord, we are thankful, nevertheless, to have such funds to help those in need in the Church of Christ Jesus. Use it, we pray, for your glorious name's sake and for the good of your people. Amen. While we are standing, let us go ahead and sing hymn 477, 477.
We have the reading of the Apostles' Creed, which is the green insert inside the hymnal. It's a separate sheet. We went through the Apostles' Creed, that is, Bollinger went through Apostles' Creed, and we went alongside and applied some of it and went different directions. Through Sunday school class, we're almost done with it. Let us read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn to our Bibles to Proverbs 1.8. Proverbs 1.8. Verses 8 through 19. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and a chain about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions, and we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us, and let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Let us pray. We hear, God, the Proverbs that you've given us by your Holy Spirit through the pen of Solomon. Things that are common sense in many ways, God, but we see in our sad day, much common sense is thrown out the window. And so, God, we go through this section of the Proverbs and the other Proverbs, Lord, to reinforce the truth in our lives, God, that we may stand against the peer pressure of this day of the sinners trying to entice us, God, that we would walk in the path of destruction. Help us, Lord, to stand firm and to instruct our children, our children's children, Lord, and be examples to them as well and to each other as we are called to help one another to flee the sins of this world and to embrace the instruction and truth of your word. In your name we pray, God, for the good of your saints for your glorious truth. Amen. As you know, Proverbs have many practical things to say. We know in history we have lots of examples of people who follow the Proverbs. Good examples. I guess I shouldn't say lots of examples. There's lots of bad examples. And here's one good example that's helpful for us. 
and I think encouraging, I hope, and certainly for the children. My daughter learned some of this. We know of a young man who listened to his parents and obeyed his leaders. He avoided bad company, was punctual, told the truth to his own hurt, as the old proverb went with the cherry tree, and honored his parents and above all his father God. He eventually became, without seeking it, the president of the United States, George Washington. He was a man in our early history who exemplified, I've read his biography uh, by Dr. Lightheart, is it Lightheart, uh, Westminster, the book this thick, <laughs> it's huge, um, and it's quite a story, quite a man. Now, there's no guarantee, of course, that you obey your parents, as we see here in verse 8, listen to the instruction of your father and your mother. Uh, that we scorn bad company, as we read in the, in the next verses, 10 through 19, that you'll become a leader in society. That's certainly true. But it's certainly something we should aspire to. It should be an encouraging example for us not to give up, to live a life of obedience to God's, through God's mercy and power for us. The first step in that walk of obedience in sanctification, it's a step of knowledge and of advice. And that's what Proverbs gives us, much knowledge and much good advice. In these verses in particular, we're given such good instruction stuff that we have likely heard before, I believe, of course, but it's still good to learn anew, like it's good to go over the basics of the Christian faith, it's good to go over the basics of Christian living, of sanctification, of God's law. This is the application of God's law, of the Ten Commandments. One way to look at the book of Proverbs is an application of the Ten Commandments. Specifically, the second table of the Ten Commandments, right? The last six commandments of God's law. And here we have which commandment? The fifth commandment. In verse 5, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, right? Clearly, that's the fifth commandment. We are called to heed godly advice. Obviously, I don't think I need to dwell on this, when he says, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, he's saying the godly instruction and the godly law of your parents. If they give ungodly instruction, you should not listen to them. That's obvious. But here, it's taken for granted that parents in the Jewish society, the godly society of the Old Testament church, the average parent should have and does indeed have good advice to give their Children, my son, he says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Now, son here, often we read it as biological, the offspring of the parents. Of course, it's not simply that. As a proverb, right? We talked about that before. A pithy saying, a condensed moral truth. When he says, my son, I don't think any of us believe he's saying, forget the daughters. Daughters don't need to listen to this but rather a shorthand for the children, clearly. And it's not just biologically the children, both the son and the daughter, but morally, morally, I would argue. It could be, in fact, a tutor-teacher relationship in the proverb. This is not uncommon in the ancient Near East, that the teacher would be presented as the Parent in loco parentis is the Latin phrase in the legal term that came around the 1600s in place of the parents. And the student would be called the child. We have a similar language in Proverbs 23, 22. 
In Proverbs 23, we read, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. So here, as with verse 8, it says, Heed the instruction of your father. Listen to your father who begot you. It's an odd way of speaking if it's the parent speaking to the child. There's one way of looking at this. They would say, listen to me, I'm your father. But here he says, listen to your father. Heed your parents. Perhaps implying it's a teacher-pupil relationship. Again, not uncommon to use that language in the ancient uh, Near East. A broader application, of course, is uh, we are, with respect to the fifth commandment, children of society to our parents who are our leaders, our political leaders. Uh, kings shall be your foster fathers, we read in Isaiah 49.3, and their queens, your nursing mothers, using what? The language of the fifth commandment to describe the leadership of society. We know the same thing is done in the church government in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, uh, where Paul pleads as a father to the children. He uses, again, the language of the fifth commandment to apply it to the church leadership. And that explicitly we read in 1 Timothy 5.1 and following, that we are to treat the older men as fathers and the older women as mothers. The fifth commandment, therefore, does not apply narrowly and only to biological relationships, but to all social relationships. Which is to say, even if this is specifically the father speaking to the son, it has clear moral application to all relationships insofar as we have church leadership and even social leadership. If they are instructing us in righteousness, we ought to listen, is my point. So, my son, is anyone in the position, under the position of someone else's authority, a godly authority, ideally, of course. He says to him, hear or heed the instruction of your father. Again, we know he doesn't mean, okay, I heard you. I, I, I hear you. I hear you, Dad. That's nice to know. But heed, it would be the English equivalent, to hear and do something about it, to submit and to obey. This is a common way of speaking in the Old Testament again. And we do something like that today where parents say, did you not hear me when I told you to make your bed? Of course, they're not saying, I, I think you're deaf, but rather, did you not heed me? Why did you not heed? And what should he heed in his father, or in the teacher, or in the leaders of the church? The instruction. Right? The instruction. Now, as I pointed out last week, remember, one of the key ways of understanding Hebrew poetry, and the Proverbs is set up as a special type of po- poetry, Hebraic poetry, is the parallelisms. I hope you see the parallel here. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. So here we have a contrasting parallelism. The contrast, of course, is on the one hand he says hear, and the other he says hear by negation. Do not forsake. Saying the same thing, one negatively, one positively. Listen, obey, heed. And of course, in both cases, it's parental authority, the father and the mother. And in both cases, therefore, when he says hear the instruction... What kind of instruction is that? We see it in the second part. The law of your mother. Now, when he says the law of your mother, he's not saying narrowly whatever your mother's personal preference is. You know, she tells you to get up in the morning, eat broccoli, that's what you got to do. That's the law of your mother. That's the fifth commandment. That's certainly true. But I would contend he's saying God's law on the mouth of your mother's lips. Because that's the emphasis of the book of Proverbs, is God's law. 
And so instruction here is not just whatever your father teaches you how to fix the car. Although that's certainly true. That follows under the what? The rubric of the fifth commandment. Listen to your parents and grow and learn. They teach you life skills. But more broadly, the law of God. It's parallel. Instruction is parallel with law. Everyone with me here? You can see the parallel and a slight contrasting or saying the same thing differently even. Heed and also do not forsake. Or do not leave the law of your mother. That word there is instruction is in is instruction there, or fatherly disciplined, a way of living, as we talked about before, uh, instruction that involves a discipline of some sort, effectual instruction, perhaps with a rod of discipline. And we are called to listen to our father, and not, again, just the biological father, but the fathers of the faith, men of gray hair, men who have experience relevant to your circumstances, wisdom, as the emphasis of the Proverbs is, says, I want to listen. I'm not going to play this game. Well, this is only applicable to my biological father. I have no other father but my father, father. And everyone else is just some stranger to me. I'm not going to learn and grow by them. You will, and you should, if you have wisdom as your goal in life, to hear and to heed them and not to forsake the law of your mother. Even, of course, women have authority, relevant authority upon the child until he gets of his own age, of course, and goes off on his own, becomes his own man, as we say, and that's always been the case through all societies. Um, mothers and women, of course, have instruction in other ways Lord, uh, God has given us. They can admonish if there's sin at hand, if they see a gross sin immediately there. They can apply the law of God and teach it to the child and teach it even to other adults as the situation may warrant if it's a serious violation of God's law, to be sure. And so instruction in the law of God, given from the parents, not just parents, but people in positions of authority in particular, or more broadly, I should say, is the way of life, is the way of sanctification, is the way of maturity and of wisdom. These opening verses here instruct us, this is the way to have said wisdom. The opening passage to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom. Get it from your parents. It's important not to forsake parental authority, not to flee, cast off, to lay fallow is the idea there of not forsaking. And so passively to lay fallow uh, when the illustration would be a good garden with soil and the like, but the seeds are rotting. You just let it sit there and go nowhere. So you can get instruction from your mother to take the church seriously, to listen to the gospel, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, but it just sits there in your heart and it doesn't go anywhere. That's forsaking it. Being passive to the truth is a form of forsaking the truth. You must actively take it and apply it when it needs to be applied and grow in your heart thereby. And of course, if you end up forsaking something, eventually it becomes not just a passive rejection, but an active rejection. Uh, the boy Bobby, who ignores the plea of studying hard, will eventually just end up fulfilling that gap in his time slot with play instead of study. And Jenny, instead of coming home on time, will just end up being late all the time. If you give up on one hand, it's going to be filled, fulfilled in the other. If you forsake the law of God, it will be fulfilled with sin. Obedience, I also want to highlight here, and instruction and growth as a Christian in particular, but humans in general, begins in the home. Begins in the home. 
It's the basis of society. And if homes are not instructing the children in the law of God, their instruction will not be graceful ornaments about their neck. It will not be chains about their head. It will not be glorious truth, but a thorn in the side of society, as we are seeing, unfortunately, the breakdown of the family. It is important, as Proverbs teaches us, to listen to godly advice, especially in the household at home. Now, if he's telling them to hear and not forsake, the implication is you've got to take the means, causes, and occasions to fulfill this obligation, uh, to listen, to be eager in your attentiveness and hearing your parents, to hearing the church leaders, to hearing instruction you need on the job, for example, or ad- admonition from one another. You need to be alert. You need to pay attention. You need to put aside distractions and to be fully engaged in the instruction from your parents from your leaders in whatever part of life. And then they will be a blessing to you. Verse 9, they will be graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Obviously, precious chains, not chains of oppression as the world sees it. It's a blessing, a blessing given to us by God's grace, of course. It is not because uh, we have intrinsic merit and holiness in us outside the Holy Spirit that we can say, hey, I obeyed my parents like how wonderful I am, but rather because the Spirit of God is working in us. And the Spirit of God is a gracious Spirit, and He rewards us. This is a reward. For they will be graceful ornament about your head, the instruction, the law of God. It will be a precious item on you, is the picture here. Something worthwhile. And that's by God's grace. It is not because of your, of your being good enough to get to heaven. This is a picture of sanctification. He's not saying try hard enough and God will save you. But rather it's assuming you're already in the covenant. You're part of the covenant. You've been circumcised in the Old Testament. You've been baptized in the New Testament. And you have the calling of holiness in this life. And the Spirit of God is with you. And he urges you and calls you. And one way he urges you and calls you is he gives you incentives. This is an incentive. This is an encouragement. Obey godly instruction especially from your parents. And God will bless you in this life to some degree and in the next life to the fullness thereof. We see, of course, historically and generationally in in the West, the great blessings we had for our forefathers obeying their forefathers and following the law of God and the gospel and the blessings we have in the West, which are now dying and shriveling up. So it's not a promise in that sense that you will have the physical blessings always, the material blessings always, although that often is the case, but not always. But you will always have the spiritual implication here. Again, the Jews like to use concrete imagery. When they talk about an ornament on your head, they don't literally mean you're going to have a beautiful ornament and look how rich and popular you are because you obeyed your parents. But ultimately of the soul, it'll be an ornament about your soul. That is, you'll be sanctified and matured. You'll be a holy person, and that itself is its own reward. Being born again, you want to be holy. You want to grow and be more obedient. That itself is its own reward. And it's a blessing that all of us see, and we say God has blessed them, God is with them, and God is helping them grow thereby because they listen to the law of God on the lips of the leadership that God has given you in your life. And the employees will see it. You're punctual, you're hard at work, you have little complaining or unnecessary complaining. There's, of course, a time to complain. You take initiative, they're going to want to hire you. 
And I guess we're hearing that more and more now. They're having a hard time finding good workers. And Christians, above all people, ought to be the ones who take Proverbs seriously and live it in our lives. We are good workers. And that God's grace is working within us and giving us the power so that we can do such things and be useful and productive members of society and especially of the church. Next, we are called to flee godless living, verses 10 through 19, the larger section here, which has a lot of overlap and repetition because, as the proverb goes, repetition is the mother of learning. It was one of the first Russian phrases I learned in Russian class in seventh grade. I don't remember it anymore. It was repetition is the mother of learning. I didn't repeat it enough over the last 30 years, apparently. Resisting here, uh, I use a more stronger word here. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Right, uh, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Just say no. <laughs> right, the old advertisement. Just say no to drugs. Just say no to sin. So it's a little more, less passive. I'm using a stronger word. Resist or flee and go away. We have that from the rest of Proverbs, of course. Do not consent also implies you have the power to say no. It reminds us that we are responsible, although we must use every means available to flee temptation and sin, and it is hard in this day and age in that we don't have help in society around us and our neighbors and advertisement. They are actually actively fighting against our resistance, resistance of temptation. It still is our responsibility to say no. The enticement described here, verses 10 through 14, they want to entice you. That word can mean deceive or flatter even. It's related, interestingly enough, to the other word that you've heard about, fool. So you see the relationship by the word deceived. It can, if sinners deceive you, it can be translated deceive, and a fool, in this sense of the word fool, is one who's easily deceived. The root idea there is to be open, spacious, wide. If it was not used in a moral sense, that's what the word would mean. But it's being used in a moral sense, therefore suggesting, quote, immature or simple ones, an immature or simple one who is open to all kinds of enticement, not having developed discriminating judgment as to what is right or wrong, uh, the uh, Hebrew dictionary says. I, I can't help but think of the root word, to be open and spacious and wide, is you're so liberally minded, your brain leaks out, right? You're open to all kinds of wickedness, and they are. They make excuses for it. So if you don't remember what the word is, I think you will now. That's what this idea here is. Don't let them entice you. Don't let them uh, draw you into this open, vast array of wickedness around you and be a fool like that and fall for it. The same idea, this negative idea, this wrong way of being open, should be open to the truth, is seen in the actions of Samson's bride-to-be who tried to seduce and manipulate Samson. That's the idea here of entice. There's a variety of enticements. I suppose you can go through a whole Sunday school class on different ways in which Satan in sin tries to draw you into sin. But here we have uh, two in particular. Enticement through peer pressure or belonging and enticement through reward or the gain offered. The enticement through belonging is verses uh, 11 and 14. We see, they say, come with us. So it's a collective idea. Let us do this together. Let us lurk secretly uh, without cause. Verse 14, cast your lot among us. Let us have one purse. Right? The idea of come join this gang. Be one with us. It's peer pressure, isn't it? Peer pressure. 
Whether your peers, those who are similar to you of age, of experience, or, qual- uh, or qualification on the job, for example, and similar employers, employees, are trying to tempt you unto sin, to tempt you to be one of them. Come do it with us. Come on, just want to be with us? What kind of a co-worker are you? Come join this BLM meeting we have at <laughs> on the job, right? We're going to teach you how to be open-minded. Okay, no. Well, unfortunately, Christians may lose their job if they don't go to that meeting, uh, which is where we are. The draw here of peer pressure never goes away. The clarion call of peer pressure, it's always there. The question is, is it godly peer pressure or ungodly peer pressure? The question is, will we as churches and as individuals and as families, as Christians, exercise what little power we have, what great power we have, unto godliness, unto one another, to do the right thing? That's what we're called to do. So, again, whenever, as we recall before, whenever you have a negative in the Bible, thou shalt not, you have a positive implied. And so here, the negative, of course, is resist godless peer pressure. The opposite is embrace godly peer pressure. (laughs) But the emphasis here is, of course, on the negative. uh, To give in, to follow the ways of the world, to influence us towards sin and wickedness. It's a terrible thing. Peer pressure is a terrible thing when used wrongly, but a godly thing when used rightly. The other enticement is through rewards or gain. Verses 13, 14, and 19. Uh, Let us... We shall find all kinds of precious possessions, we read. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Verse 19, we read that they are greedy for gain. But also, uh, the reward, apparently, is murder and mayhem. To shed blood, to make haste to shed blood. Often another way of saying murdering. But it could, could include anything short of that, causing pain and blood and misery. The idea of pressure, peer pressure here, interwoven in these texts, as well as the enticement of the reward of possession of, and of mayhem and of murder, suggests that the object that is the son, the one who's being peer pressured, is an older teenager. Ten-year-olds aren't going to be induced very much with bloodlust, but an 18-year-old would be. And of course, back then it was easy to have weapons. Make your own sword. There you go. You have this roving gang. We have peer pressure today. We have gangs. We have peer pressure on social media. We have peer pressure in the media, as we know. And they pressure us towards wickedness, towards the shedding of blood in the case of abortion, the shedding of blood in the case of transitioning people. What is a woman? I don't know. Let people cut their body parts off and let them decide what they're going to be. That's where we are. This text talks about them and their peer pressure upon us and through our legal system even. And we should resist that and say no. A thousand times no. And teach our children this. that They, they will see us stand up against such peer pressure. It's everywhere, unfortunately. And we are called to say no, not to consent. Verse 15, he repeats it again. To walk away. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from that path. Often, of course, in the Bible... The description of life is a path. You walk down the path of life, the path of Christ's life or the path of the death of this world. We should flee from unrighteousness, flee from politicians and false preachers and teachers who urge us to walk away from God. 
from God's law and God's gospel. And he gives us reasons to flee because they hasten for blood, he says. They set traps that they fall in. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. Of course they don't look, make a, 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 a trap for their own death. I want to kill myself. Although, interestingly enough, to some extent they do. Suicide rates are up, unfortunately. They lurk secretly for their own lives. He's saying, this is the end result of living this kind of life of death, of murder, and of thievery, right? To get possessions and have one purse. It leads to death. They may succeed temporarily in this life, but ultimately it leads to death. They will ultimately fail. They will fall into their own trap is what he's saying here. This is a reason you should flee. Don't go down that path. It's a path of destruction. They'll eventually be caught either by earthly powers and ultimately always by God's heavenly power. And so when we're seduced to follow the ways of the world, one way to fight that seduction is to remember the path of the wicked. That's why it's helpful to go over and describe, as we read here, the path of wickedness. This is what it looks like. The children need to see. I've done that with my daughter. I said, look, I did it once, and she's like, I don't want to see that again. This is what they're doing to young girls. And I showed her this Coke commercial from South America. I wanted her to remember, don't forget what they're doing by wrapping things around their chest. I'll leave it at that. So they can stop being a girl. That's what's going on. And they need to resist that. One way to resist it is show them this is what it leads to. It leads to destruction and death of the body and ultimately of the soul. A real life example. So, it is helpful to pay attention to some extent. Don't get too caught up into it. The lifestyle and the end result of lying, murder, thievery, drugs, whatever else is out there. It will take away their life, he says in verse 19. It takes away the life of its owner. Listen to the wisdom of your parents. Is it dead? Oh, you should have said something. I would have stopped. No, it's two double A's and they're right there. So I will finish here. the long short of it, that let us pray. The Holy Spirit inscribes upon our minds these proverbs and these truths that we were instructed by our godly parents and instructed by our godly leaders in the church, that you may recall them when the world tempts you. Recall where that life leads to death. and Rather, we should walk the path of holiness and life. May the Lord protect our young people from wicked peer pressure. May the Lord protect us from wicked peer pressure and to follow him unto the law of life. Let us pray. Gracious God above, this is our prayer for each and every one of us, Lord, to purify us and protect us from this dark day and age, we pray in your name alone. Amen. Let us stand and sing. Hymn 224. 224. Accessible, hid from our eyes, 
most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.